back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping Sports with M3, powered by the Connected School of Broadcasting. How's everything going out there? I hope everything's going well for you all on this Monday, the 14th day of of February. I was about to say uh, 14th day of Valentine's Day. It is, it is in fact Valentine's Day, the most commercial holiday that there is. Uh, you know, a day that you know if you are in a relationship. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Hell, even if you're much like myself, still living the life of a single person. Don't feel like you're alone, lonely. Don't be, you know, sad or anything about it. It just means you haven't found the right one and uh, you shouldn't settle for anything less than the right person for you. You're awesome as you are. So keep positive. Keep on what should be a feel-good Positive vibes only Monday here because yesterday was, of course, a day that I think should be considered a holiday, even though it falls on a different date each year, Super Bowl Sunday. And when I think about this Super Bowl, I'll think of two things. Beyond just all the hoopla around it with, you know, for some reason, them having The Rock uh, give th- that hype speech right before kickoff, or the halftime show with uh, 50 Cent, Kendrick Lamar, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Bly, Eminem, and a surprise appearance um, uh, f- with 50 Cent joining at uh, the last minute. What I'll think about with this game is two games, two things, A. A, there wasn't that, you know, memorable moment that we're going to look back on, you know, five, ten years from now and say, oh, my God, can you believe that happened? Like the helmet catch or James Harrison's 101-yard interception return before uh, halftime or the Saints doing an onside kick. No, nothing like that. This wasn't, this is not going to go down in the archives as one of the all-time classic Super Bowls, but if you're a neutral fan, much like myself, with no dog in the fight, you got what you wanted. This was a very well-played, very fun game to watch. Now, you would have liked to have seen the officials be consistent throughout, I mean, they throw, they Blow the whistle four times in the last like two minutes uh, for four penalties, three against uh, the Bengals. You would have liked them, uh, you know, if they're, if they're going to 
let the guys play, let them play continuously. I thought the penalty against uh, Logan Wilson there on the third down withholding uh, on Cup was a little bit ticky-tack. I mean, maybe to the letter of the law, it it was the right call, but you know, the way the game was being played, it didn't feel like it was a necessary thing, especially when early on they missed what was a clear, whether you want to call it offensive pass interference or face mask, uh, penalty that should have been called uh, on T. Higgins uh, with his uh, grabbing of uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey's uh, face mask on the first play of the second half. But you know, outside of that, this was an overall fun game to uh, watch. You know, I thought the Bengals were took my advice a little bit too much to heart early in the game when Zach Taylor's calling for a fourth down um, play at midfield in a scoreless game, f- you know, five minutes into the game. It's one thing if you're on the Rams 15 yard line, 10 yard line, something like that. You want to show a aggression, gr- but you give the Rams the ball at midfield there and set up a uh, cup and Beckham uh, for an no, a short field, a short drive on there. No, it stunk for Odell Beckham because he got off to a good start in this game. Had the touchdown on that following drive, as I said, was uh, playing reasonably well. Uh, even had a, a, another long catch after that, but then late in the second quarter, goes down with the knee injury. That you know, none of us want to speculate. None of us want to be doctors, but. I, Looked like he might have retorn his ACL there. Sucks for him because A, he's been on his best behavior since going to LA. B, he's performed and definitely earned uh, a new contract, uh, whether it be with the Rams or someone else. I thought you know, earlier this year he would have been lucky uh, to get you know a two-year deal, but now he's going to get probably, without this injury, he probably would have got a three- or four-year deal at, at least ten million per um, year, and if he's injured, knocking him out for the 2022 season, that uh, could hinder his earning power. Plus, he had become you know an important part of that team. Now, ever since uh, Robert Woods went down, he's been that number two or one A, one B to a Cooper Cup. And what last night was the finale of an all-time historic year, a a year where, you know, quite frankly, he set himself up on a Hall of Fame pace. He set himself up on, you know, a trajectory that if his career keeps going, maybe not in years like this, but, you know, because we already knew he was great coming into this year, but this year was just astronomical with how awesome he was. But if he just you know stays healthy and keeps performing at the way he's been, he's going to be a Hall of Famer at some point. Especially when you look at the fact that this year he was the regular season triple crown for receivers with catches, uh, yards, and uh, touchdowns. He was named the Offensive Player of the Year 
and was Super Bowl MVP. The only receiver in history that's ever done all of those in a career was Jared Rice, and he did it in one year. And you, you look at you know you look at his overall stat line. Yeah, he had two touchdowns, but it was only ninety-two yards. And there'll be a lot of people that out there that'll say, "Oh, maybe should have Stafford been the MVP because he was the quarterback and uh, was clutch on the final drive," or Aaron Donald because he seemed like a man possessed in the second half. But in that final drive for the Rams. He was Mr. Everything for them. He had four catches for 37 yards. And, you know, the Bengals knew the ball was going to go to him every time and couldn't do anything about it. Especially because, you know, the Rams had to throw the ball there. They couldn't, that they were unable to run the football all night. They couldn't just settle for a field goal after a botch uh, on the um, placement of an extra point earlier in the game. And, uh, you know, that drive, you know, did two things. A, continued showing uh, the dominance of a cup, but B, it took time off the clock. By the time they uh, scored, there was, what, about a minute and a half uh, left to go in this game. And yeah, the Bengals still had two timeouts, but you're uh, forcing Burrow and company to go down the field against a defense that was just getting better and better as the game was going on. You know, early on, this offensive line seemed to hold up pretty well. But as the game went on, you saw why this was the worst offensive line in the sport all year. Why, you know, Joe Burrow was beaten around by uh, defenses, uh, not just throughout this season, but throughout this postseason. I mean, between the regular season, he was sacked 51 times. Uh, combined 19 more in uh, the uh, postseason. I mean, this pay keeps going at this pace. The guy, as great as he is, the guy's going to get himself killed. He's, he's not going to be able to survive behind a crap offensive line. And it you know, brought back the argument people had from last year. Was it worth passing up on Panay Sewell? to draft uh, Jamar Chase. And as great as Jamar Chase is, you got to be able to protect your quarterback to get him the ball. Now, I still think in the long term, it it was the right move getting not just the best receiver in last year's draft, but getting someone that your quarterback had such a great connection with. But you do have to protect uh, this kid. And now the, I talked about this game not having that moment, that signature moment. Well, there were you know, spots in this game where you, know, you could see the game changing. You know, With the Rams, their offense uh, started to go downhill once Beckham got hurt, especially with the fact not able to run the ball. They're without uh, their number one uh, tight, tight end in Higby. And now without Beckham, Sean McVay is uh, starting to really run through the playbook and having to figure things out on the fly with um, losing weapons like this. Not just that, but the the Bengals starting to get uh, some momentum here. First, uh, they luck out with uh, the botch on the extra point attempt uh, by the Rams. 
then you get what should have been called a, a face mask penalty against uh, T. Higgins, or at the very minimum, offensive pass interference on the first play of the second half uh, for that long touchdown where Ramsey was just, you know, he's looking around like, are you kidding me? How is there not a flag on that play? And the very next play, Matthew Stafford uh, throws an interception that's set to the Bengals up in good field position. And you're thinking, wow, the Bengals, they have this, a chance here after trailing by double digits in the first half to go up by two scores in their own right and start to put the pressure on the Rams. Because even though they're in their home building, it's not being treated as a Rams home game. You know, it's not packed with 80,000 Rams fans. They're not playing all the Rams sound effect and music uh, to pump up the crowd here. But Aaron Donald and that beastly defense stepped up, put their foots on the, the uh, Bengals' throats and played a style of bend-don't-break defense that uh, the Bengals were not able to overcome. I mean, you you look at, after that, there were two moments I thought kind of changed the game where you started to you know, really get concerned if you're a Bengals fan. Uh, midway through the fourth quarter, you know, Tyler, uh, who had uh, been so sure-handed, had been a, a great piece for uh, this uh Bengals offense all year long. Great under-the-radar uh, uh, piece for uh, Joe Burrow. Had not dropped the pass all year. He gets one thrown right to his hands at near midfield on what should have been a conversion of a third down, and he dropped the football. Now, he thought that you know, he had a man you know, about to run him down and, and hit him, started uh, footsteps, when in reality, he had a good, a good two, three feet before contact. And if he catches that ball, that's a first down continuation of a drive, and who knows what happens from there on out. Instead, they're putting the football back to the Rams, and the, the Rams, as I mentioned, they went on a long drive on their final offensive series that took a lot of time away from the Bengals. And the clutch moment of that drive was when McVay drew up a, a play on fourth and one in uh, Rams territory. They uh, do a, a jet sweep with uh, Cup running, and Cup, who's not used to running with the football. Instead of running toward uh, the sidelines, he actually cuts downfield what usually would be considered a little bit too soon. But if he would have kept going toward the sidelines, he might have gotten you know, run down or tackled before getting to the yard to gain by Von Bell on the play. Instead, he cuts a little early and is able to get uh, uh, six, seven yards there to convert a first down. And keep uh, the play go the drive going. Now, like I said, I would have liked it if the referees had kept the whistles in their pocket, would have you know, just let the game continue to play out as it was. 
but no, those clearly were penalties on uh, that drive. Those clearly were uh, things that you had to call against uh, the uh, Bengals in normal situations, especially the, the holding. Now, the Bengals fans are going to complain about it from here till the end of time, but the Rams were just the better team. And the Rams, you know, the Rams had a lot of pressure on them. The Rams had the pressure of trying to, you know, maybe not validate, but put an explanation point on uh, the season of Cooper Cup, uh, justify all of the moves that they have made in the the last four years since they last went to the Super Bowl. I mean, you look at it. The, the, everything that they've done the last three, four years has been building to this moment. You you start even before the their previous Super Bowl appearance in the 2018-2019 season, bringing in Andrew Whitworth the longtime Cincinnati Bengal, to give them a stabilizer at left tackle. Even at 40 years old, he's uh, still playing uh, like one of the top offensive linemen in uh, this sport. But after that, the, all of the trades that they've made, the trading two first-round picks to go get Jalen Ramsey in 2019. Uh, just over a year ago, trading two more first-round picks, and Jarek Goff, who was their quarterback for their last Super Bowl, who they had just given a big contract to about a year or two um, prior to go get Matthew Stafford, who a guy who a lot of people ha- um, had mixed feelings for. There were those who looked at him, thought he was just a numbers guy and couldn't uh, perform in the big spot. And then there were those who, who said that, oh, he was being held down by the Detroit Lions. Well, those who said he was being held by, down by the Detroit Lions proved to be right because he did perform in uh, the big moments, especially this postseason. And then you know, they made strengths even stronger. You know, going and trading for for Von Miller at the trade deadline, trading away a second round and third round pick. You now adding to what was already a good pass rush. Now about a week and a half later, they go get Odell Beckham uh, Jr. And you're thinking at the time, oh, that's just, you know, that's a luxury pickup. Well, Robert Woods got injured uh, about 72 hours later and uh, Beckham turned from a luxury pickup to a necessity. Hell, even at the start of the postseason, they're without both of their safeties uh, due to injury problems, knowing they're going to be without Jordan Fuller for the rest of the year due to an ankle injury. And they go drag Eric Weddle out of retirement, who had been out of football for the last two years. And even with a torn peck last night, he uh, uh, gave them something and all of these risks, all of them uh, paid out. That's why, you know, people are going to look at and say, oh, who deserves the most credit for this? Was it McVay? Was it Stafford? Cup, Aaron Donald? Uh, Odell Beckham? Now, all of them in the right mind 
deserve an equal amount of credit. But the man on top, General Manager Les Snate, you know, being the ultimate poker player, throwing all of his chips into the middle of the table, realizing that if this doesn't work out, that he's probably screwed knowing he doesn't have a first-round pick until 2024 or doesn't have a a second-round pick in this coming year without um, premium third-round picks in the next couple of years. He not only wanted to win a Super Bowl, knowing how hard it is just to get to this game, he wanted to win this Super Bowl, wanted to be the second team in a row that won a championship in their own home house. And all of those risks, all of those gambles came up correct. All of them were justified. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, your Bengals fan, your Bengals player, coach, front office, it's a long day for you. It, hell, it's going to be a long offseason because there's no, cha- there's no championship in any sport that's more painful to lose than this. You know, in, in the NBA, we see big threes put together all the time. It's very easy to repeat. No, it's very, you know, we frequently see dynasties get put together like the Lakers or the, the Warriors in the last 20 years. Major League Baseball, we've been able to see some teams repeat, whether it's due to great pitching staffs or you know, changing things up every year um, with a, a piece or two and having a, an all-time great manager uh, to run the show. Hell, even in hockey, we've seen runs of greatness uh, with teams having Hall of Fame-level goaltenders go on stretches carrying a team. But in the NFL, this is the hardest championship to get to because, you know, especially if you're the loser, the next year, nothing's guaranteed. All of those teams you had to beat just to get here, come back into play. Now, the Bengals are going to have to deal with the Chiefs, going to deal with the Bills. We'll see what happens with uh, the Patriots now that they're going to have a new offensive coordinator. But Bill Belichick is still there, so you expect them to be relevant. People forget the Ravens fell off the face of the earth after Lamar Jackson got hurt. We expected them to be back in the picture. The, the Chargers are an ascending team as well. And then in the NFC, the Rams are still going to be in the mix. We'll see what happens with the Bucks and the Packers when it comes to their quarterback uh, scenarios. And then there's always a team or two that comes out of nowhere and surprises us, like this year's Bengals, who people saw had good emerging talent, but probably did not think that they were Super Bowl ready just yet. So, I say it all the time, you know, nothing is guaranteed in uh, this sport. That's why it's going to be a long, painful, arduous offseason that I hope for their sake, you know, motivates them and keeps them on the right track. Now, hopefully Burrow doesn't have some kind of injury that sets back his offseason after limping out of the stadium last night. But it's going to be a long road back for this Bengals team because you were six minutes away from your first ever championship. And it 
all dissipated thanks to Stafford, Cup, and an Aaron Donald-led defense. And Sean McVay, the wonder kid, finally getting his uh, championship ring. All right, I will continue to touch on the Super Bowl as the hour goes along. Give us some uh, more thoughts um, as we continue on here. But now, unlike previous years, there are other things to talk about uh, on uh, this uh, post-Super Bowl Monday. Uh, Give some thoughts on the news over the weekend about Kyler Murray, the NBA trade deadline, uh, some Thoughts about Major League Baseball with uh, some news made by the Mets over the weekend. And is Tom Brady about to make a big mistake? So I'll get to all of that and more. Please just sit back, relax, help put your feet up if you feel like it. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. So believe it or not, there was some off-the-field news uh, in the NFL uh, this week. No, first with uh, the final uh, coach opening in the NFL being filled. And I say final, even though the Vikings had not officially named a head coach, we had all pretty much known for a while that the Rams offensive coordinator, uh, Kevin O'Connell, is going to be named the Vikings head coach at some point uh, this week. They just have to wait until after the Super Bowl. But the, the... the final head coach hiring was made when the Texans hired Lovey Smith as their head coach. And Lovey's been a good, solid head coach over the course of his career. You know, got the the Bears to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. Now, things didn't work out in Tampa Bay, mostly because A, Jameis was a young quarterback, and B, not all the way around, that was just seemed like a bad situation uh, with you know a front office that didn't feel like they knew what they were doing at the time and didn't have a lot of talent around him uh, to truly build that into a winner. 
but he gets his what's rare in this day and age, a third opportunity as an NFL head coach. And what sucks about it is it was, you know, the Titan, the, the Texans, excuse me, were almost shamed into doing this hire because eight days ago, they were all prepared to hire Josh McCown as their head coach. And then when it started to come out that there was not going to be any minority head coaches outside of of the um, Dolphins with Mike McDaniels, who's biracial, being hired in this coaching cycle, the, the pressure almost came down on the Texans like, you know, you can't hire a first-time white head coach, a guy who's not even been a coordinator in the this sport, even for as much as you may like the guy. So, And Lovey wasn't even given an interview until about a week ago at this time. So... They, it almost it almost felt like they were shamed into this hire. Now, what sucks in this coaching cycle is you now we've we've talked about the Brian Flores stuff, and that we'll continue to uh, monitor how that plays out. But you now, once again, Eric Bieniemy did not get a head coaching job, and you now people are going to continue to bring up that oh, he was coaching Andy Reid's system that. He doesn't get wherever he would go, wouldn't get to bring a Mahomes, Kelsey, or Hill with him. And while that is true, his predecessors got chances at being head coaches. Hell, Doug Peterson just got his second head coaching job. Matt Nagy uh, got to be the Bears head coach probably a year longer than he should have, and he was terrible at that. Shouldn't uh, be enemy who served in the same role as those two, get that same opportunity uh, to try and fail? Now, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. But now his contract's up with the Chiefs, so we'll see if he moves on to somewhere else. And you know, maybe moving on somewhere else as an offensive coordinator, that will uh, propel him to a better opportunity as a head coach because there won't be the yeah butts hanging over his head. Now, a couple of quarterback situations have uh, come up in the last couple of days. One with a young quarterback who might need to calm the hell down. And that would be one Mr. Kyler Murray, who last week removed any references to the Cardinals on his social media accounts, which only had pictures up of him at Oklahoma or him playing baseball. And that in itself seemed kind of weird. Now you're like, hmm, what's going on there? What well, is there a rift? And yesterday we would begin to learn through all of the pregame shows, whether it be on NBC, uh, whether it be the NFL Network, ESPN, that there's a bit of friction between uh, Murray and uh, the Cardinals organization. Kyler believes that 
he has been made into the scapegoat for their 34-11 to loss to the Rams in the first round of the playoffs where he threw two interceptions, was getting swarmed by that Rams defense all game long. And the Cardinals believe that Kyler Murray is a bit self-centered, immature, and is turning into someone who likes to point the finger a lot, which, as the old saying goes, you point one finger at someone else, you got three fingers pointing back at you. It sounds to me like Kyler is not taking much accountability, not taking much acceptance for his failures late in this season where you know everything was great and grand when they were 7 and 0 but all of a sudden they go 5 and 5 down the stretch fall into a wild card spot and lose in the first round uh, things are a little tough for Mr. Murray you know first time where you remember this is the first year where the Cardinals were truly considered a contender. This was the first time in his three years in the league that they had made the playoffs. The first two years, they were kind of, oh, that cute story where it's like, oh, look at Kyler Murray making all these cool video game-like plays. Now it's, okay, there's an expectation to perform, especially after a 7-0 start. And he doesn't want to take much accountability into his falters, ex- no, especially after uh, losing his teammate uh, DeAndre Hopkins for these final several weeks of the season. Now, oh, it comes at an interesting time because Kyle is going into the fourth year of his rookie contract, and at usually at that point, a lot of guys not only do they you know, look for their fifth-year option getting picked up, which the Cardinals will probably do by May 2nd. But he's going to look for a contract extension, look to make more than the four and a half, uh, or excuse me, uh, five and a half million dollars he's set to make uh, next year. And you now, while he's off to a good start in his career, been a Pro Bowler twice, Rookie of the Year, I think what I would do with the Cardinals, especially after you know this incident, this reported signs of immaturity, I'd pick up the fifth year option and you know let things uh, play out. You know, hope that some of his teammates, hope that you know guys like Larry Fitzgerald, who still uh, is close in that organization, reach out to this kid and you know tell him to grow the hell up get his head out of his ass, stop feeling himself so much and realize that he's got to hold himself accountable as well, not just teammates and the organization. And, you know, hope that next year he grows from this, that he shows some maturity from it. And then next offseason, he performs this great again, has an MVP caliber season. Then you talk contract extension but I'm not going to talk to a guy when he he's acting like such a big baby and he faltered down the stretch like so I want to see him perform in a tough moment uh, one more time 
and see how he reacts from there before I decide whether I'm going to give him a contract extension to the level of what uh, Josh Allen just got from the Buffalo Bills. Now, before I take a break here, I want to give a piece of advice to a certain future first ballot Hall of Famer. And that being one Mr. Thomas Edward Brady Jr. You know, two weeks ago I said we all jumped the gun when talking about Tom Brady's retirement. Then what do I know about 12 hours after saying that he announces his retirement on his podcast? Last week I'm, you know reflecting on the career of Tom Brady and about six hours later he goes on his podcast and says the following quote I'm just going to take things as they come oh I think that the best way to put uh, put it and I don't think um, anything you know you never say never at the same time I know that I'm very I'm, I feel very good about my decision. I don't know how I'll feel in six months. And that was in response to Jim Gray asking him thoughts about potentially coming back. You know, Tom, you used to be very unlikable, and that's just because people viewed you as the pretty boy, now, you've won all those championships with the Patriots, the most hated franchise in professional sports over the last 20 years, with the most hated coach in all of professional sports. And people are jealous and envious of those who have success, who have make a lot of money and have supermodel wives and live the lives that they only wish they could. Then you became likable because you you left the Patriots, went to Tampa Bay, or as became uh, in factually known by uh, people down there as Tampa Bay. You won a Super Bowl in your first year there, became the first team ever to win a championship in your home building. And you became rather likable, really a guy that, people could almost relate to. Well, now this puts you more toward the realm of unlikability because Brett Favre did this same thing the last five years of his career, would go into the offseason talking about retirement and then somewhere around June or July, here I come, I'm coming back. And it used to piss everyone off. As the years went on, we got more and more annoyed by Brett pulling this stunt. Don't be Brett Favre. Don't don't do this nonsense. You know what? If if you want to come out later tonight on uh, your podcast or next week or something by the end of this month and say, you know what? I had a change of heart or I was just kind of playing games with the media because they made an announcement before I'm ready. I was ready to, but I think I'm going to come back and play for the 2022 season. Then that's fine. 
We're all good with that. But if you string this out through the offseason, you're just going to piss a lot of people off. Uh, You're going to become the story when you shouldn't be the story. I mean, you know, Tom Brady, the story about Tom Brady was all over Super Bowl week when it should have been just about the Rams and the Bengals. We're talking about, oh, when is Tom Brady going to come back? Is he coming back for the 2022 season? Or is he going to retire for a year and come back at age 46 for 2023? Which I think would be the most asinine thing he could ever do. If if he came back, played this year, and then played in 2023 at 46, I think he'd be fine. He's shown no signs of decline. And uh, he's been able to avoid the big injuries since... uh, that torn ACL in 2008. But if he retires for a year and you know, tries to come back at 46, he's going to be a dead man walking. The game, uh, the speed of the game will have passed him by. The game gets faster each year and he'll spend that first half of that season shell-shocked trying to catch up to real game speed, really uh, trying to, you know, catch up to what you know the league had been doing for 18 months with him gone. So, you know, Tom, you're obviously considering uh playing next year. Just announce it now. Don't put us through all of the games. Hell, you put the Buccaneers in a bad spot because now that they have to spend their entire offseason wondering, "Oh, is Tom coming back or not?" Or should we look into other options, like if the Seahawks do have any interest in trading Russell Wilson, or if even if he's suspended for the first half of next year, can we get Deshaun Watson from uh, the Houston Texans? Just make everyone's life easier and make a firm, definitive decision, rather than playing this Brett Favre-like will-I-or-won't-I-like game. As I said, you've become very likable the last year or two. Don't ruin that, all right? Go take another break here. Come back on the other side. There were other things besides the Super Bowl and the NFL going on this week, mainly the NBA trade deadline. Look back on that coming up. Continue keeping sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO.
Now, like I said, there were other things going on besides, you know, the Super Bowl this past week. Other things, you know, in case you missed it, to uh, keep us uh, entertained. Mainly the NBA trade deadline on uh, Thursday, which it this is the first time I believe these two things have ever crossed paths. Super Bowl week and the NBA trade deadline. In fact, the deadline felt a little bit earlier than normal uh, this year. But, you know, as we've come to see in, in uh, recent years, there was a lot of action. There was a lot of action when it came to big names on the move. The, uh, the Just last Tuesday, the you, you saw how big this trade deadline was when seemingly out of nowhere, the Portland Trailblazers traded C.J. McCollum in a six-player trade to the New Orleans Pelicans. They traded McCollum along with Larry Nance and Tony Snell uh, to the Pelicans uh, to get uh, four players, including Josh Hart, and three draft picks, uh, one being an a protected first-round pick in this year's draft. And on the surface, I'm not surprised that the Pelicans traded McCollum because, you know, it's clear that our, um, the Trailblazers, excuse me, it's clear that the Blazers n- needed to move on, that they needed to begin a rebuild there because they've gone through, what, five or six years with this pairing together and have not been able to get past the Golden State Warriors in the postseason. Even if they had gotten into the play-in and snuck into the playoffs, weren't going to get past either the Warriors or Suns, weren't going to be a big factor in the playoffs. And it's very clear that Dame Lillard is not going to finish his career in Portland, that at some point that marriage is going to break apart. So they had to, you know trade C.J. McCollum while there was still some value to him. Even with him uh, dealing with some injury issues uh, this year, they needed to get something in return. So they get you know a couple of young players uh, back in this trade, get some draft pick composition, including two second-round picks that, you know, if they do the, their homework right, will they'll be able to... You know, net something good somewhere down the line with those picks. But I'm disappointed in the fact that, you know, it's CJ McCollum going to the Pelicans because, let's face it, Anthony Davis didn't want to be in New Orleans. Uh, Zion Williamson, you could say what you want about him. He's shown that he's kind of brittle, but. From the beginning, it doesn't seem like he wants to be in New Orleans. I wish you know, McCollum would have went to somewhere that you know had a better chance at winning in the immediate future rather than the always rebuilding New Orleans uh, uh, Pelicans. Now, the trade that came as a bit surprising was between two teams that are also in rebuild mode, and that was the Pacers-Kings trade. 
uh, where they exchanged six players and a second-round draft pick. The two big names coming out of this were the Pacers getting Tyrese Halliburton and the Kings getting DeMontis Sabonis. Now, on, on the surface, you look at, all right, the Kings are getting a young, rapidly improving player in DeMontis Sabonis, a guy who, on any given year, can make an all-star team, can be maybe not a starter, but certainly be amongst the 12 all-stars in uh, the Eastern, when he was in the Eastern Conference. But they give up a, a kid in Halliburton who's 6'5", only 21 years old, only, what, 15 months after they draft him? And I know that this kid, yeah, he's turned the ball over nine times in two games uh, with uh, the Pacers so far. But he's a pretty good assister. You know, he he's a good seems like a a good three point shooter, shooting at above a forty percent clip. Shoots around what forty seven uh, percent uh, in his uh, year and a half so far in uh, the NBA. Like I said, he's only twenty one years old. You picked him number twelve overall in uh, the two thousand twenty draft. Kind of surprised that they're getting rid of uh, this kid uh, so quickly. I mean, maybe it's a sign that they're, you know, that they're feeling that they feel more comfortable building around De'Aaron Fox than they do uh, building around uh, Halliburton. But, you know, that trade kind of uh, caught me by surprise because no one thought that Halliburton was available. Now, if there was even a sense of it, you think maybe some more contending teams would have gotten involved for a young piece that was on the rise like so. The other trade that you know, caught me by surprise, and maybe it shouldn't have, was the second trade that the Blazers um, made last week. It was a three-team deal involving themselves, the Spurs, and the, the Jazz. And in that trade, uh, the the Jazz traded a uh, longtime uh, Utah Jazz guard Joe Ingles to uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Now, Joe Ingles is out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL, and he's about to uh, be a free agent. But I figured that was a guy that, you know, he was so immersed in that community, so immersed with that team, was kind of one of, not just a good three-point shooter, but one of those, you know, grinded out, gutty, heart and soul kind of players that you want to have on your team that I figured the Jazz would have, you know, played things out and held on to him. Now, they could always try to re-sign them as a free agent. I'm not sure about their caps, their caps situation, but I'm surprised that they, you know, gave up two second round draft picks and were willing to trade a guy that was, you know, a leader in that locker room, even with him being out uh, 
for the rest of the year, he's still probably going to be around and still could be a guy, uh, a voice for the players on that team to lean on. The Spurs would would make another trade the next day, getting uh, Goran Dragic from uh, the Raptors. And this trade is significant because in all likelihood, the Spurs are going to uh, buy out Goran Dragic. And he's instantly going to become the probably the most sought-after in-season free agent in the league. You're going to have a lot of teams showing interest in the, this kid, uh, or should I say this guy. He's been in the league long enough that we can't call him a kid anymore. Uh, this guy, very quickly, you know, he's one of the better catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the sport. You know, you could either start him or bring him off your bench. Doesn't matter. You still get the same kind of production out of him uh, late in a game. And a lot of the contenders are going to be interested. You know, the Bulls, who were, you know, relatively quiet at the trade deadline. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, who we've seen how much they've missed having Joe Harris and how, you know, losing. Uh, Patty Mills from the bench has taken away from from scoring for their second unit. The Warriors, like they need another three-point shooter. Uh, the Lakers, who can't get out of their own way. The the Milwaukee Bucks, who the Bucks, the Bucks, I thought, made one of the wisest trades at the deadline. Now, the, they were involved in the always complicated four-team deal where they uh, gave up, uh, what, three players and were able to end up with two second-round draft picks but also got Serge Ibaka. And why that's significant is because people forget, even with how great the Bucs have been playing recently, they've been without Brooke Lopez for pretty much all season after having back surgery. And... They're still unsure whether Brooke is going to be able to come back this year or not. So getting Serge Ibaka provides them some insurance. Now, Serge Ibaka is a better blocker than uh, Brooke Lopez, but they're about the same when it comes to rebounds. They both like to shoot outside the paint. What this does is now you can... as even though he's played uh, reasonably well, you can bring back Bobby Portis to be an off-the-bench reserve guy, be that energy coming off the bench uh, with the second unit, and have Ibaka start at at center. This way, whether Lopez comes back or not, you have some insurance as far as size inside and uh, helps out your bench at the same time. And, you know, like I said, their bench could improve over the next week or so with if they are able to be the team that signs Drogers, um at a time where you would think it's overkill, but they are going to need him now with losing Pat Connaughton uh, likely for the re- rest of the regular season to an injury. Now, the, the Bucks, they're not fooling around. They are showing that they are in this to win it and now put together a sustained uh, level of success here while Giannis is in his prime. 
The Celtics made a couple of deals. You saw some you know, other teams uh, make deals, you know, including uh, the Mavericks giving up on Chris Stapp's Porzingis almost three years to the day of acquiring him. They trade him uh, to the Washington Wizards. Uh, the the Wizards uh, would also, in that same day, trade Montrez Hill to the Hornets, where now, the same thing I said last week with the Cavs applies with the Hornets. The Hornets are probably playing over their heads this year, um, uh, a playoff contender earlier than people thought. You know, you make a move like this, bringing an experienced veteran who's been through the grit and grind of postseason success, you know, provides that young group with a little bit of spark and enthusiasm saying, hey, our front office believes in us, our our coaching staff believes in us. You know, why not us? You know, the same thing I said last week with the with the Cavaliers when they got uh Karis Levert. You know, show your team, show your um your your young players that you believe in them and that this isn't just a full on rebuild. Of course the the trade that is most significant to me was the news of James Harden getting traded to the 76ers. And, you know, a lot of emotions here. First off, I'm pissed off at James Harden because, quite frankly, I feel like the last 14 months was a waste with having him on this team. I mean, now that the 76ers should look at this as almost like a buyer's <clears throat> excuse me, buyers beware uh, situation because he pulled this same playbook to get out of Houston, got out of shape, uh, wasn't playing every game. Now with the Nets, we'll see if he was faking injury or not to force his way out of Brooklyn due to, now, now you're seeing, seeing and hearing all the reports coming out about how unhappy he was with the Kyrie situation and how their relationship just completely fell apart. And, you no, know, this, you no, know, he wasn't willing to tough it out at a time where Kevin Durant is injured and where Kyrie, due to his own uh, personal choices, couldn't play home games or play, play games in the confines of New York City. But he also probably knows what we all know, that is, if it wasn't for the vaccine mandate with Kyrie, it would definitely be something else that Kyrie was pulling off the court, preventing him from playing. But, you know, the Sixers should have some buyers beware here that if things don't work out, say Embiid gets hurt or Harden his body continues to betray him because that, that's a big thing here. He let himself intentionally get out of shape when he was in Houston at the end there. And now look at him. The last year and a half when he's been always a relatively healthy player, he had two hamstring injuries last year that caused him to miss time at the end of the regular season. And then he got hurt in the series against the Milwaukee Bucks. And then you have the hamstring issues that he's been dealing with for the last three weeks that have caused him to miss time. Big reason why the Nets have now lost 11 games in a row. 
Now, who knows if he's going to be able to stay healthy in Philly where they're clearly trying to win. They believe that they have a chance to win a championship. But they gave, you know, believe it or not, they gave up a lot in this deal. You know, they gave the Nets a good shooting guard um, in Seth Curry, who's uh, one of the better three-point shooters in the league. He's not Steph, but he's uh, amongst uh, you know the top 10 when it comes to three-point shooting. One of the big weaknesses on the Nets was size down inside, and especially at a time when Nicholas Claxton is injured. You bring in a good rebounder, especially getting those second-chance opportunities in Andre Drummond. And, of course, the wild card here is Ben Simmons, who we know is as good a passer as there is in the sport, is going to play good defense, but he's just, whether it's afraid, timid, refuses to improve, uh, work to improve his game, at it, he can't shoot the basketball outside the paint. Hell, he can't. Uh, unless he's driving to the lane and layups or dunks, he really can't shoot at all. Now, we've seen guys improve over time, but we'll see if he's willing to work at that. But the big problem with Ben Simmons, you know, does he really want to play basketball? You know, you're bringing in another, you know, highly emotional, highly erratic problem child here who, you know, you'd, you look at him, he's what every team would dream of. A 6'10 guard that plays great defense, is a great passer, has speed to him, is highly athletic, has been an all-star three times, and he's barely even 25 years old. You trade eight years of age difference between him and James Harden. He forced his way out of Philadelphia, wasn't playing this year. A, a lot of people, including myself, think that he made up um, mental health issues as his way just to not get fined with the Sixers. Does he really want to play basketball? If you're Kevin Durant somewhere, yeah, you've talked to this guy um, already. Yeah, you're close with Kyrie Irving. But you're shaking your head thinking, what the hell have I signed up for? I've got one point guard who's highly emotional and afraid to shoot the basketball and then another one who as much of a brother as he is to me and as much as I like the guy every five minutes seems to have a problem with um doing his job and finds a reason why not to do his job so the Nets they've fallen with this 11 game losing streak down into the play-in scenario we'll see if they start to win games at some point soon but it is a very chaotic and brutal to watch situation in Brooklyn right now that hopefully Durant can return some point after the All-Star break, soon after the All-Star break, and they could start to turn this nonsense around. Got to take one last break here, come back on the other side, finish things up, continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Okay, only a few minutes left here, but uh, let's finish out this podcast for the week. Uh, no, I can't stand how Trevor Bauer is acting like he should be, you know, vilified or that he's some kind of victim in all of this uh, in the last couple of days ever since it was announced that he will not face any criminal charges for his alleged sexual assault case. Remember last year on July uh, 2nd, he was uh, placed on administrative leave by MLB after reports had surfaced uh, about uh, a sexual assault uh, um, allegations made against him. And no, the, the, the woman, uh, that was making the claims claim that, that, yeah, w- while the initial, you know, encounter and interaction between them was consensual, that things got brutal and he really roughed her up. He claims that those things uh, were things that she either wanted to do or that she kind of fudged or lied about her story a bit. He, he's, as I said, he's trying to make himself some kind of victim in all of this, act like now he, uh, you know, freed of all of this. It just, just because he wasn't, uh, he won't face criminal charges does not mean, you know, he did nothing wrong. It just means they didn't have enough evidence, you know, to lock him up in jail or uh, to support her claims. Now, it doesn't make him out to be some saint, doesn't make him out to be some godly-like figure. So, and plus, Trevor, just because you didn't face criminal charges doesn't mean MLB can't still punish you in some way. There, there's still um, working on an investigation in their own right. They could still suspend you for half this season and that $45 million you're supposed to make this year will be cut straight in half. Plus, remember, 
you were still paid while you were on leave from baseball. So it's it's not like you know you're going to be at some soup kitchen anytime soon. So no one feels bad for you. No one has any sympathy for you. Uh, one good piece of news that came out of uh, of Major League Baseball this past week was news that Mets owner uh, Steve Cohen made, and that's on August twenty seventh this year. You know, depending on if baseball has a season and things start on time. But as things set with, with their schedule right now, they're set to be at home that final weekend of August. And on Saturday, August 27th, the Mets will have Old Timers Day. And I know there's some Yankee fans out there, you know, some Yankee fans that always try to belittle the Met fans or the Mets, you know, that... that Think about the Mets way too much when we should just be concerned with our own team. And trust me, there's a lot of Met fans that are the same way back toward Yankee fans uh, that think that the Mets are just trying to rip the Yankees off, just trying to copy them. Where if you actually did your homework, you would know that this is something that the Mets used to do all the time. They haven't had an old timers day since 1994. But they had done it for no, at least 20 to 25 years. No, it, back in the old days, they would bring it back no, former players of theirs to face former players from other franchises. But they've always done an old-timers day in some shape or fashion. For some reason, in 94, no, the Wilpons and company decided to uh, stop doing it, which... To me, if you're any team with any significant history, no, not just the Yankees, the Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, Cardinals, but you're you're a team that's been around for a while. No, not someone like the Marlins or the Rockies or the Tampa Rays that just joined the sport five minutes ago. And you have a significant number of former players retired players that are still alive you should do an old timer stay these things are fun it's it's cool to go back and look at the the history of your ball club see guys that either played when your father or grandfather were a kid or say if you're you know my age and see players that you grew up on come back and and play you know a pickup game of baseball, come out there, tip the cap for the crowd, get a big uh, cheer. No, I always enjoy Yankees old timers day. And I hopeful that some point in late June, early July this year, that they bring it back. Now haven't done it the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but with things seemingly heading the right direction, seemingly the, with the sun rising above the horizon in this pandemic, maybe we can get back to normalcy and get old timers day back going. But you know, I'm happy for the Mets. I'm glad that they're doing this. I'm, I, I'm even though I'm not a Met fan, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Seeing you know, you know Mike Piazza back out there, guys like uh, John Franco, uh, Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling. Maybe uh, Yes Network's David Cohn, since he's a former Met, will be there. Uh, Daryl Strawberry, uh, 
who knows with Doc Gooden. I mean, we're just you know we're just hopeful that he doesn't do something stupid these days that costs him his life. Uh, but uh, I've already seen that Daniel Murphy is going to be there. Probably David Wright will be part of uh, this. You got to figure. I'm, I'm trying to think. I was discussing this with my brother and a friend of mine the other day. Who would be that Met that shows up that the Met fans would boo? I mean, do the Met fans still hold ill will against Carlos Beltran for the strikeout in 06? I mean, that's something that they need to get over. But, uh, no, maybe Jason Bay, K-Rod, you know, someone like that, you know, along that that lines uh, Armando Benitez for the blown save in game one of the 2000 World Series that kind of set that series on a downfall for them. I don't think it would be Bobby Valentine. Most Met fans wish that he would come back and manage the team for the last decade. But uh, no, the, I am I'm really I am excited that even though I'll probably be at work that day, that that'll be a DVR situation, something that I. Um, I do look forward to seeing the Mets do uh, later this coming summer. As you now, as long as the season gets started on time, and now I'm not concerned about the fact that the meeting between baseball and the Players Association was only an hour over the weekend. But w- what I am concerned about is the fact that they are so far apart on the economics of this. And that, you know, every, every time they meet, there's always a statement put out there. I mean, it feels like the only thing that they've agree- they've seemingly agreed on so far is the fact that the National League will have a DH. Other than that, it, it feels like we're a million miles away from a, an agreement. And what really sucks is tomorrow was supposed to be the day that pitchers and catchers report for spring training tomorrow was supposed to be the start of major league spring training now spring training is still going on you're still seeing teams show up with their non 40-man roster players but you don't have the the real feel the real vibe of spring training get going and starting up with baseball coming at the end of March, beginning of April. Now, at this point, I really do believe we are going to have a delay to the season and, hell, might even have games missed. And, you know, Rob Manfred could say all he wants last week that, oh, it would be disastrous if uh, any uh, games are missed. But who do you have to blame for that? Honestly, who do you really have to blame for that? Yourself. Not just the players. Look yourselves in the mirror, owners. You know, it takes two to tango here. And while maybe some of the things the players are asking for is outrageous, like that $100 million uh, player pool uh, for pre-arbitration players who are in the top 30 of war, or uh, wanting the the, luxury, Luxury tax to jump from what was two hundred fifteen million to uh, now like two hundred fifty million. Um, but you now they're looking a to 
protect the young players who some of which won't even see the light of day in baseball and barely make enough money to survive uh, uh, playing in the minor leagues. And they're looking to stop some of these owners, such as Hal Steinbrenner, from treating the luxury tax as a salary cap something baseball never has had and probably never will have as long as the players' union is this strong and this united. Now, it's around this time after Super Bowl where I'm supposed to be getting excited about baseball um, season and um, getting that started. But all I can do is sit here and think about my annoyance and disgust with both these sides And, you know, wondering if and when this season is ever going to get started. You know, you hope it doesn't get to that point. You hope that at some point cooler heads can prevail here. But like I said, it feels like we are truly a million miles away. Kind of like, kind of like how Bengals fans feel right now after losing the Super Bowl. And listen. Today starts anew for 31 other franchises around the NFL. You know, today starts that long, treacherous journey towards Super Bowl 58. You know, it's longer for the Bengals than it is anyone else because they're coming off of a heartbreaking loss. A loss that they were six minutes away from taking themselves off that list of teams that have never won a Super Bowl. But yesterday, if anything else, should be looked at as a growing experience for Burrow, Chase, Mixon, and company. You know, something that Joe Burrow acknowledged after the game that while the loss does sting, what they've accomplished, they will at some point celebrate in looking toward the future. And that's what you have to do now. Use it as motivation to say, hey, let's not be you know, one of those teams that we were just happy to get here. And then people years from now are looking back and wondering, hmm, what happened to that Bengals team that got to the Super Bowl and came so close but fell? The important key is going to be them improving their offensive line because you know, Burrow cannot get sacked 70 times over a 20-game uh, span. Now, poor uh, uh, David Carr got sacked like 80 times in his first year in the NFL and never recovered from it. Andrew Luck got sacked all, all those times, got hit around in his first couple of years. It led to injuries where he eventually missed the season, came back, and then retired before the age of 30. Let's not have this happen to another young, promising quarterback, okay, Bengals? But today begins a new journey for 31 teams around the NFL. Today is also a continued day of celebration for the Rams, and live it up, celebrate it. Because, you know, Tom Brady made it look easy for 20-plus years, but it's not. You know, dynasties don't come along every day. That's why, you know, I said... The person that deserves the most credit in all of this was Les Snee, 
And that's because he pushed all of his chips to the middle of the table, knowing that nothing's guaranteed. Now, Matthew Stafford could you know, blow out his knee next year. Or Aaron Donald was talking about retirement. Andrew Whitworth could retire. Who knows about the future of Odell Beckham Jr. with another knee injury in what you hope was not re-tearing the same ACL that he tore in the 2020 season. They took chances and all of those came back on the positive end and they were able to justify trading away all of their first round draft picks from here to kingdom come for this one moment of winning a championship in their home building and justifying hiring uh, the youngest head coach in the history of the NFL at the time they hired him. Uh, Trading away draft picks for veterans and maxing out their salary cap in future years beyond belief. And trading away what was a Super Bowl quarterback in Jerichoff, what was their own first overall draft pick, to go get Matthew Stafford, who was not a proven winner in Detroit, mostly because of what uh, Detroit had put around him from player standpoint and a coaching standpoint, and were able to win the, their first championship in almost 23 years. So celebrate it, enjoy it, but realize that there are now 31 hungry teams to get to where you are. And it's going to be a fun journey. It's going to be interesting, you know, with these teams, all these teams starting next September back in the mix, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Bills, the Patriots, the Bengals looking to do it again. As I said, we'll see what happens with the Packers and the Bucks, the Seahawks, the 49ers. You want to throw Kyler and the Cardinals in there as well. Hell, maybe even a surprise or two. Um, maybe the Titans make a change at, at quarterback. No, they can't forget them with a healthy Derrick Henry. But the journey to Super Bowl 57 begins now. And, you know, it's great about football that even though the Super Bowl is over, the NFL has now become a year-round sport for us to talk about and break down each and every single day. And that, my friends, is Keeping the Sports When I'm Free from Monday, February 14th, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.